Good morning to you. I'm glad that you've enabled me to come into your homes today and share with you a little bit about these 10 plagues on our website. My name is Michael Young. We're today in doing the first of the plagues of Egypt. I remember we talked about the serpent last night or last week about how the serpent, the rod turned into the serpent. We identified the rod as the cross of Christ. And that has power. And the fact that it gobbled up, it became a serpent and gobbled up the other, said that God was much more powerful than anything any nation could begin to produce or express. Now, today we begin with these 10 plagues, and I'd like to uh, uh, begin by reading it to you. Of course, I'll read it in the uh, ESV version. And here we find that then the Lord said to Moses, we're in chapter 7 of Exodus, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the banks of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. And you say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that's in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul. And the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the streams, over the pools, and over all the reservoirs of water, that they became blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and he struck the water that was in the Nile. In the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all that water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died. The Nile became foul. The Egyptians could not drink from the water of the Nile, and the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing with their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not listen to him, as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven days passed as the Lord struck the Nile. Isn't it interesting that it was seven days? Uh, I remember the time when I was going through training, and one of the things they did to us was withhold water. And we quickly became aware that if you don't have water, if you don't have water within just a little bit of a day, anything to drink, you're in bad shape, really awful shape. In fact, they say uh, usually a person can't live more than three days without water, 30 days without food, but only three days without water. And here it was seven days. So there was a supernatural thing of God having mercy on these Egyptians that allowed them course maybe he allowed them to find water as they dug around and uh, uh, found water that way but it was certainly not easy uh, let's talk some general things about this 10 plagues to begin with 
some things that I think God connects and would have us connect with other things that are going on. And uh, uh, we'll take a look at those. Uh, first of all, why, why are there 10 plagues? Why not 15 plagues, for example, or 20 plagues or six plagues or whatever? But there's a special number, isn't there, in those plagues? And God has a reason for giving us just six, uh, just uh, 10 plagues, right? And what's that? What's that reason? What does the 10 seem to refer to? And let's start with that idea. Where do we find the number 10 in the Bible? Of course, numbers are very, very important. Uh, you know, you, you don't, God just doesn't throw out a number. Oh, you know that with three and four in. We recognize those numbers. And number two for Christians is perhaps the most important number in the Bible. Seven means completion. God completed all his work on the seven days. And that's why you have the seven heads of the beast in uh, Revelation. It's saying this is the end of all these things. Uh, the number 10 uh, is uh, one of those numbers we need to look at and see. Uh, you have the parable in, uh, in the gospel in Matthew uh, chapter twenty. Five of the ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins, you know, and that's a parable of the end, isn't it? Five were wise and five were foolish, and those virgins, of course, are the church. We have the ten crowns that we find on the seven-headed beast in the book of Revelation, so the ten goes along with that seven there. We have, for me, most telling is the ten spies that uh, brought about the worst thing to happen in Israel's history. In fact, it still goes on today. And that was the 10 spies out of the 12 that said, do not go into the promised land, that they rebelled against God. And because of their rebellion against God, they were not allowed to go into the promised land for 40 years more, or 40 years was their, continue, their whole time in the desert. So for 40 years, they had to stay out in the desert because they refused to go in. Ten voted against them. Now, those ten were faithful people. I mean, they were Jews. Uh, they were chosen from the tribe because of their special abilities and so forth. They just didn't send anybody out to do that. Um, they had the caliber of, uh, of uh, Joshua, who later became the leader following Moses, and Caleb, who's another hero of Israel. But these 10 voted against it. Uh, so their 10 seems to signify those that were attached, those that were faithful to the Lord, those who had a special calling, and yet they turned their back on the Lord. Now, God didn't cause them to do that. They did that. And later on in the nation of Israel, after the death of Solomon, you remember, his son Rehoboam and had the conflict with Jeroboam. Jeroboam challenged him and said, are you going to be as mean as your dad? And, and Rehoboam said, I'm going to be even more difficult, tougher than my dad was on you. And so they took the 10 tribes and God said that was his will, that the 10 tribes would leave Benjamin and Judah, the two Southern tribes, and would form their own nation of Israel. And that's how Israel formed. And that was in God's will too, that they would form. But God never, never wanted them to begin to worship idols as they did almost immediately. Remember the first thing that Jeroboam did was build a golden calf 
And so the people began to worship that. He was afraid if they went back to Jerusalem, as the law had commanded, that they would quickly say, let's go back to being part of that one nation. And so he built an alternate form of worship, an alternate religion, right? And so that ten nation, instead of being the blessing that God meant them to be, turned away from God. And, and when I see those situations in that, uh, with those tens, and with the ten virgins, and with the ten horn, uh, the ten crowns that we find in Revelation, I find it signifies the time of the end when there is a turning away from God. That which was faithful at one time has now become unfaithful in these end times, because each of those were an end time. Now, you may say, well, what about the Ten Commandments, Mike? They don't ever fall out of use. Well, no, of course not. But they are changed, aren't they? The Ten Commandments are contained in the gospel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that leaves it to you to figure out how to do that. Whereas in the Ten Commandments, it gave you the law. Make no graven image. Don't worship another God and so forth. Those were those things, but now God has written those things in our heart. So the Ten Commandments, of course, are still valid. They're in another form, but they're part of the old age, part of the law age. And now we're in the grace age. And so at one time they were useful. They were fruitful. Uh, kind of like if you remember your book of Esther. What a great book, huh? The first queen was Vashti. And her lord, her king, said, Vashti, I want you to come and I want you to appear at my party that I'm giving for all my nobles and everything. I want to show off how beautiful you are. And she said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And he said, well, I can't have a queen that won't do what I've commanded her to do. And so he pushes her out. And that's how Esther becomes a queen. And so you see that she was useful. She was a pinnacle and she was uh, the, the beautiful one that was supposed to be in the kingdom. But he pushed her out and brought in another because she refused to do. She rebelled against the king. And so that's where I get that number 10 is kind of the idea of rebellion. Rebellion against now that which was made to be faithful, but has become unfaithful and not useful. Uh, rebellion is a good word for most of the things we see in that. And so Egypt, how do you apply that to the 10 plagues? Well, first of all, all the 10 plagues were in Egypt, which at one time had been the place that God ordained for the salvation of Israel. They came down there in the midst of the famine and they were feeding Israel. Israel lived because of Egypt, right? But then you had a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, as it says in Exodus 1, who rose. And he saw all this minority of the Jews in there and said, we're going to make slaves out of these guys pretty quickly. And so you see a change, don't you? A connection. And now here we are at the end time when God says, I'm not going to allow my people to be treated like this. I'm going to throw them out. I'm going to punish these Egyptians for what they're doing. And each of these plagues seem to demonstrate 
what God is going to do about that. He's going to show them and punish them for the way that they had judged Israel. And that's what they did. They judged Israel. So as we look at that, there's one other point that I think is probably even more important than the number 10. The number 10 is very interesting and communicates a lot of things. Have you ever thought of the connection between Egypt and the cross? These 10 that were unfaithful, these 10 plagues that showed God's judgment on them, and the cross of Jesus. I don't think you can understand the purpose of the 10 plagues unless you connect the 10 plagues of Egypt with the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's all there. Now, a couple of them become very evident. What were the last two plagues, for example? Well, the ninth plague was the darkness. And there was a three hour of darkness there. I mean, uh, it, there was a, <laughs> the darkness in Egypt. And at the cross, what do you find? Well, the last plague before the ninth, the ninth thing that happened at the cross was also the darkness. And so we see that happening in the same way. Now, what was the tenth plague? Well, in Egypt, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. Well, what was the tenth plague at the cross? Well, the death of the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. And you say, well, wait a second. Jesus wasn't Egypt. Well, theologically, Jesus was Egypt. If you understand what God is saying, remember, Jesus became sin for us. He, came, he became the one that was rebellious, like we are. He took our rebellion on. He was never, of course, rebellious. But he took our rebellion on, where we've rebelled against God. And because he took on our rebellion, he also took on our punishment. And that was the legal thing that we did. He paid the debt. You know, it's just like if I go down and I have a traffic ticket and I had a young man on a, a Japanese man on a plane. And I were talking one time and I was telling him about the gospel. And he said, how can another man pay for my sins? Well, if you get a parking ticket, somebody else is allowed to go down and pay that parking ticket for you, aren't they? Well, of course they are. The state doesn't care as long as somebody pays. And that's what Jesus did for us. While he wasn't rebellion, he became the sinner in God's eyes. He became the one who was cast out. He became the one that was punished. And so just as the Egyptians were punished for all the things that they had done to Israel, for all the way in the maltreatment of the Jews, here we have the same thing happening. Jesus is treated as the outsider, as if he had been the one rebellion. And that's, of course, why he was nailed to the cross. And that's why he had to die for us. And so God is drawing those 10 plagues so that the people that look at those say, wait a second, isn't there a connection between the cross and the things that happened at the cross and the things that happened to Egypt? And what is that connection? As they go deep, they understand, oh, I see. Jesus is the older son, the firstborn. And in the Bible, the firstborn is cast out. 
so that the second born can be inherited. Uh, he inherits total. And of course, that's pretty clear. You think of Abraham had two sons, right? And the first son was Ishmael. And what happened to Ishmael was cast out. And Isaac, who was the second son, inherited. Isaac is a picture of the church. And Ishmael is a picture of the older son who was cast out. So Isaac could inherit. And don't we see the same thing in terms of the two sons of Isaac? Esau and Jacob. Esau's the older one. He loses his rights, his firstborn. He receives the he, he foregoes the father's blessing so that the second son can inherit those things. So who is the picture of the church in that? Well, Jacob, obviously. And then you study the life of Jacob and you see the whole history of the church involved in that. If, interesting study to see what Jacob does and where he goes and all the things that happen to him because that is your history of the church. Well, and then you come down to Jacob, of course. He's another figure and he has two wives. And what do we find out of his first wife? His first wife is Leah and she's unloved and she is really shut off from Jacob because he loves the second wife, her younger sister. And again, the older one suffers. The older one is cast out so that the younger one will inherit. And then Rachel, of course, has two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And what happens to Joseph? Well, the brothers all cast him out completely. They sell him as a slave. So he's taken out of the way. And again, the pattern follows right through. And so... We find that God has two sons in the New Testament, Jesus, the older son, and the church, who is the younger son. And the younger son inherits because the older one is cast out. The older one rebels or the rebellion and the sins are placed on the older son. The older son is cursed. So that the curse does not fall on the younger son. And that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So you see in the 10 plagues, and here the water turning to blood, that the 10 plagues that are going there is so that we will associate what is going on with what is happening at the cross and what the cross is really about. God's communicating his gospel again. It's just clearly that simple, I think. I hope I haven't made it too complex for you or too confusing for you, but it's pretty clear if you spend some time and you think about those things. So the water turning to blood, and you've got some great symbols in that water turning to blood, really. Uh, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how nobody can live without water for very, very long. And that's a picture of the Holy Spirit because we can't live without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And now we see that the now, which was considered uh, the blessing, and God did bless us, uh, bless the Egyptians with the now. Egypt wouldn't have been a nation without the now. Every year it would overflow its banks and it would take all this rich soil from all the way down in Ethiopia and all the way from the central of Africa. Africa and it been carried along and carried along, overflowing its banks, and it would leave this rich deposit of soil. And so they had tremendous fertility in their soil. 
and so much so that they made the now God, didn't they? And others look at it as if the now is a God, and God was saying, look, your now is no God. I'm overpowerful that, and that certainly fits. So here we see the same thing going on, too. And next time, I think we'll get into this just a little bit more. Uh, thank you for being with me today. And uh, you certainly take a chance and, and read this up and think about it. Got any questions? I'd love to hear from you, too. Just uh, text us over here at the station in Bread of Life World Ministries. And may God bless you today.